Amen. Friends, we're going to wait on the Lord. Uh, if you feel you have an interpretation for that word in tongues, I invite you to come forward and uh, share that with the congregation.
friends, would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful. That might not work well, folks. <laughs> Sorry about that. Father, we're thankful for being in your house this morning. Lord, we thank you that by your spirit you move and you are alive and you are good. And Father, as we come to your word now, would uh, that message of your grace uh, come alive and be more and more real in our hearts. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Friends, the Lord be with you. And indeed he is. This has been a good morning. Now, if you're new, uh, my name is Nick. I'm one of the ministers here at the church. Uh, let me add my welcome to Steve's. If you uh, are unfamiliar with the, what a sort of charismatic worship service might be like, um, we're sort of open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so when you heard Mrs. Molly give a word in tongues, and uh, Pastor Velma give an interpretation, you read about this in, in 1 Corinthians, uh, that in the New Testament church was quite often for, uh, for the Lord to move uh, in charismatic gifts, and so we continue to practice that uh, today. We believe that's for today. So some of you that might be a little unfamiliar, I assure you all as well. And it uh, opened us up to a time of ministry and prayer, which is fantastic. Uh, friends, um, I'm going to do a few announcements, as well as reminding me. Um, as I'm doing that, could you turn to Jonah chapter 2? We're going to continue our series in Jonah. While you're turning there, I'm going to make a few announcements. 55 plus uh, ministry, our small group of seniors, which is not so much a small group as it is a good medium-sized group. That's on Wednesday at 9. It's at the PI. It's a location to be announced. It's at the PI restaurant. Along with that, if you look in your bulletins, you'll, you'll have seen, I'm sure, uh, while you were coming in for the service, we've got several sort of news and reminders here uh, to be aware of. If you're a ministry leader, uh, we need you to hand in a bit of a report on this past year and a budget for the next coming year. Our year end is June, so the next year starts July, July to June. On, Ju- on July 31st, we've got some folks from Cycling for Water who are going to be here. We're still looking for some billets uh, to put up for you guys. Uh, two, two cyclists and a, and a driver. So if you're interested in hosting them for that weekend, please let me know. If you'd like to serve in some way, plenty of opportunities to do so. Come up and let me know. Uh, or you can go to the website there, slash serve for some more info. That's some really exciting news. I don't know if you caught this. But we're hiring. Uh, we felt led as the elders and as the board. Uh, to hire two new positions at the church. We want to expand our pastoral staff. So we're looking for a part-time youth pastor and a part-time family and children's pastor. And we've had, we've had lots of people over the years who have done fantastic work in both of those areas. Um, but we're saying we just want to be able to better invest in both our youth and our children uh, and disciple the next generation. So both of those positions will be starting in September. Uh, they're part-time positions. You can go on the website job descriptions and the other details. I want to say this, though, is that we feel that the Lord may well be calling one of you, or two of you, uh, to fill these roles. And so I encourage you to apply if you're interested. Uh, be seeking the Lord, say, Father, is, is this something you're talking to? Um, I don't know if you remember, some of you were here back in May, 
when Gerald and Ruth Nygren spoke, Gerald talked about the 4 to 14 window about people being called to sort of children uh, and young teenagers. And I know a lot of you responded to that call. Well, perhaps this is the way in which God's calling you uh, to live that, that ministry. So I invite you to be praying, praying, Lord, is this for me? Um, maybe you know right away? No, definitely not. I'm good. Uh, but then be praying uh, that we as a church will find the right people to fill these roles. And uh, so it's an exciting time, folks. We're really glad to be able to do that. Um, I think it's really fantastic. Personally, I'm really quite excited about that. All right, this is the announcements. Are you in Jonah? Jonah 2, I'm going to read uh, the whole chapter. So, actually, I'm going to start in chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. We're off to a great start, poor Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. We'll get back to that. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountain. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. My prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. <laughs> Good Jonah. There he is. Lord, would you bless the reading of your word. And Father, would you open our hearts and our minds and our ears and our eyes to receive this word. Uh, that we would live it out in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's jump right into this, shall we? So we're right, we're in our, our second part of a four-part series on Jonah, four chapters in Jonah, four-part series, which just made sense, didn't it? Last week, Jonah fled, so the Lord calls Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, and Jonah arose and flees. Kind of goes, ah, nope, and he goes the other way. And uh, they have quite this time uh, on the boat with the sailors, and Jonah says, might as well throw me overboard, it's no good. And we find God's grace waiting to meet Jonah under the waves. We talked a bit about God's grace. We're going to talk about his grace more this morning. It's interesting to think about where uh, portions of scripture are located. You know, like what's happening when this, when this narrative happens, or when Jesus shares his meal, or what happens when this person prays this prayer. Well, here's a good location. Uh, in a fish. It's probably really smelly. It's probably a little cramped. It probably has lots of time to think. There's not a lot to do. <laughs> I think, though, that it's interesting. So, much, so many of us, I think, are so busy, we don't know how to stop and listen. We live in a really frantic world, don't we? It's easy to just kind of run through the day and have lots to do. And if you have a cell phone, you know, that thing will just go. I leave mine on do not disturb almost all the time. Uh, 
But life is busy. It's hard to slow down. Richard Foster is one of our great sort of uh, Christian spiritual authors of the last century. Uh, he said, busyness is of the devil. doesn't mean work isn't good. Work is good. But simply being busy and frantic for busyness sake is not good. Our minds can get so crowded, we don't have the opportunity to just stop and ask, God, what are you calling me to do? And here Jonah, he's got the time to think. He's called by God, and as I said, he goes off in the opposite direction. I think up to that point in his life, he probably thought he was doing pretty good. Like, life was looking okay, and Israel's doing okay. But as soon as, as he's called to do something that doesn't fit the model of his life, as soon as he's called to do something that doesn't fit with what he's envisioned his life to be like, he doesn't rise to the occasion. So he's got an idea of how his life should be that actually becomes somewhat idolatrous. Here's how my life should look. As soon as God sort of interferes with that, he says, nope, I'm out of here. Sometimes we don't leave room for God to do his work in our lives. In this case, Jonah doesn't have room for God to actually want to bring a rival nation to repentance. He doesn't have room in his world for forgiveness uh, to go beyond his own sort of people group. So, so his vision needs to get enlarged. So what's God doing in the middle of that? God works a real breakthrough in his life. And the breakthrough comes right here in chapter 2. Jonah turns back to God and he offers this prayer. I think this is like a hinge point in the text. If you look at uh, chapter 1, verse 2, we get arise and go to Nineveh, Right? Back in chapter 1. And if you look at chapter 3, verse 2, what do you get? Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city. So you get a repeat of the call. call happens again. And yet this time, look at 3, verse 3. Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. So the response is different. Same call, but now Jonah's willing to be obedient. Something happened between 1, verse 2 and 3, verse 2. It's chapter 2. Chapter 1 and chapter 2. Jonah does a bit of a backflip. He moves from stubbornness to obedience. He moves from hate to love. This is amazing, isn't it? When this happens in our lives, when we're going in a direction, and suddenly we realize, ah, I've been really wrong. <laughs> you go back. This happens to Jonah. God's call hasn't changed. The call is the same. But Jonah's readiness to obey that call has changed. So let's jump into, into this chapter, into verse 2. Jonah, at this point... He's come face to face with death. And in his utter darkness, his utter disparity, comes to a greater understanding of God's grace. Sometimes, folks, learning to lean on God's grace, learning to better understand God's grace, requires us moving from a comfortable place to something that's really unsettling. Uh, Sarah and I, when we were first married, Got married in June, and then in September we were going back to, uh, to the college where we'd uh, been, been studying for the last four years. We're going back to that college to work, uh, go back to our undergrad school, and you know, kind of give back. Right? It's very exciting. And partway through that experience, we we're supposed to go there for two years. We we're newlyweds, so there's a lot of change. It's all sort of very. It's our first home and all that. Um, partway through that experience, we just suddenly realized over several different events. Uh, that we couldn't stay. And so we're in the middle of what we thought our life was going to look like for at least two years, and suddenly all of that kind of pulled out from under us. We didn't know where we were going to live. We didn't have our own house. We didn't buy a house there. We were living in 
school housing. Uh, we didn't have much by way of savings. All we knew was that it was time we had to go. And so we, we found ourselves in this place in our first year of marriage, which has enough of its own kind of learning curve, doesn't it? Uh, those of you who are married, you know, there's lots going on that first year. What, what, what's happening? In the middle of all of that, suddenly we had to move, and we really had to learn to lean on the Lord's grace. We had to lean, like, Lord, where do you want us to live? Do you, like, do we provide for us? What, what direction do you want us to go? And it was, it's one thing to kind of know that mentally. It's nothing to start living that question. Lord, are you going to show up for us? Because we're really hurting right now. We don't know what's going on. God was calling us to a deeper experience of his grace at a time in our lives that was particularly difficult. We had to move to this place that was pretty comfortable. We had a kind of our future worked out. You know, our life kind of worked out. Suddenly that was gone and we had to move to this really unsettling place. It was a place that had to learn to trust deeply with God. And that's something with something similar to what happens with Jonah. Life makes sense. He knows what's going on and suddenly he gets a call to do something really different and unfamiliar. He doesn't know what to do in that situation. For us, we discovered along the way that God was really with us, and things did work out, uh, but it wasn't without its challenges and its tears along the way. We had to learn to put uh, God's call and God's grace ahead of our own discernment of what life is supposed to be like. I think a lot of you have probably lived that. If you haven't yet, folks, it's going to come. What you think a Christian life means. Take a bit of a turn. You'll suddenly have to really lean on the phrase all over again. Say, Lord, what's it really mean to follow you? So this happens with Jonah. Something's happening to my microphone. Don't know. Are we okay? Should I move? We're okay. We're loud. Jonah has this revelation of God's grace here. But it comes at a near-death experience. Sarah and I wasn't a near-death experience, but it was a bit of a death in terms of what our plans were. So he has this near-death experience, and he has this revelation of God's grace, and that's what changes his attitude. Look at how rough this is for him. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. Sheol's like a... Uh, pre-modern Jewish idea of hell. This is like the pit. This is like as low as not a good place. Um, out of the belly of Sheol I cried and heard my voice. You cast me into the deep. Floods surrounded me. All the waves and billows passed over me. The waters closed in over me to take my life. I don't think he's exaggerating. <laughs> I think this is like a raw depiction of his life in chaos. He pictures himself at the very gates of the underworld. I mean, he's speaking rhetorically, right? He hasn't actually died. But he's saying, look, I was as good as dead if God hadn't shown up in my way. If God didn't intervene, I would be toast. And, and if you look back at chapter 117, right before, um, it says, Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And that's actually a, um, I can be historically factual, but that's a significant period of time. That's considered to be the amount of time that you can go without food or water. So he's, he's about to expire. Uh, he's at the point of where he's lost all sustenance. Jonah's, um, his near-death experience is actually sort of a precursor of Jesus' real death experience. Three days and three nights. So he's sinking to the depths of the very gates of hell. He's as close to death's door as he can. Things are really bad. But, but there's something interestingly missing here. 
Jonah's been trying to escape the Lord's attention, but he seems remarkably fond of worshiping. There's a little bit of a motivation like, Lord, if I just get these words right, will you save me? Because he never actually confesses his disobedience. He never says, I was wrong. He just says, I was in a really tight spot. So he's reluctant to turn to God in prayer. In fact, if you look at verse 7, he says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered God. It's only until he's right at the point, of, right at the brink of death, that he finally turns to God in prayer. And yet, even with those shortcomings, he does realize he's turned from God. Right? I was banished. I was driven from your sight. He knows he's not just forsaking that prophetic call to the Ninevites, forsaking God himself. So death is what he deserves, but there's a finality to death that he can't. He won't be able to worship God. He, he seems to enjoy his worship. He won't be able to praise God. He's going to be separated from God, and that idea terrifies him, folks. Because our 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 most basic fundamental need as humans is to be with God and to know we're loved by Him. It's our most basic fundamental human need, and Jonah knows that he almost lost that communion with God. So, because he's aware of his sin, he also realizes God's love, and so he cries out. He reorients his life back to God. See that yet. In verse 4, so I'm driven away from your sight, sort of this descent. Remember, we're talking about how Jonah's going down and down and down. You cast me into the deep. All your waves and your pillows passed over me. I'm driven from your sight. Yet I shall look again. And the whole thing turns. He realizes I can face God again. What that means for us, folks, is this, that even at death's door, when your life is looking the bleakest, it's never too late to cry out to God. And even, even in a way that maybe isn't perfect. Like here, Jonah doesn't, doesn't really get everything worked out, but he does cry out to God. He doesn't even admit his disobedience, but he does cry out to God. And God hears him. God answers him. There's only one person he can help to, and he can turn to for help. He knows it. It's God. So he reorients his whole life to the Lord. And there's this turn from darkness back to hope. What's great is he, Jonah, Jonah has two things in proper balance. And I've been drawing on this from uh, another pastor named Adam Lowe, because I think he just nails this so well. Jonah, Jonah has a, an appropriate estimation of his sin. He understands that he's sinful. But he also has a proper understanding of God's love. And so often those two aren't held in right balance. So let me give you some examples. Sometimes we underestimate God's love and we also underestimate our need for forgiveness. So we'll say things like, um, well, I don't, there's nothing I really need to repent of. Everything in my life is fine. I don't really need God. What's he going to do for me anyway? That's kind of one, one response we can have. Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you've lived that at one point in your life. There's another, another response would be we understand God's love, but we underestimate our need for forgiveness. So we'll say, God just loves me as I am, and I don't need to change. Everything in my life is Right? Um, whatever I do is okay. God just loves me. God is just love. Whatever I do, he loves. You may have heard something like that too. Okay? Then we can, we can underestimate God's love, but we can have a right estimation of our need for, for forgiveness, a right estimation of our sins. We can say, I need forgiveness, but I'm so bad. God's love will never match it. He could never possibly forgive me. Maybe you've lived that before too, that sense of guilt or shame, or, or despondency just feels so overwhelming, you think God will never 
God can't act this. God can't take this. I'm done. Then there's the fourth response, which is the right understanding of God's love and a right understanding of my need for forgiveness. That I need forgiveness. I'm broken. I'm deeply sinful. Things are not well in my life. Sin's like a cancer that pervades me. Not just the things I did wrong. It's a condition. And yet God's love and his grace is so great that it will overcome that and magic and undo it and complete it. He'll forgive me and heal me. So you see how that works? We need a right estimation of our need for sin, our need for forgiveness, our own sinfulness. And we have a we need a right estimation of, of God's great love and His grace for us. Jonah does both well. He gets it. He realizes how low his life is, and he also realizes that God can save him. God's a God of grace, folks. It's never too late to turn back to God. If you need to do that today. Then do it. Do it today. His grace is enough to cover the multitude of sins. Philip Yancey tells this great story about C.S. Lewis, about grace. He was uh, was talking about there's this British conference on comparative religions. This is in the UK. And C.S. Lewis was alive. So they had all these experts from the world debating. And they were debating what's the unique contribution of Christianity to, to kind of all the world religions. What's unique about Christian faith? And so they started eliminating possibilities. They said, well, maybe it's the incarnation. And other religions, uh, the spokespeople said, well, no, that, I don't think that quite makes sense because we have other sort of versions of gods appearing in human form. It's not entirely new. But what Christianity does is really different. You know, we have something kind of similar. Then they thought, well, maybe resurrection. But again, other religions have accounts of turning from life to death, or death to life again. The whole thing. <laughs> So the debate was going on and, and then, until C.S. Lewis wanders into the room and he said, what's the rumpus about? And they told him, well, we're sort of having this debate about whether Christianity has a unique contribution to sort of all these different faiths. And Lewis said, oh, it's easy. It's grace. And after they kept discussing it, they all started to agree that the notion of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, goes against every instinct of humanity. Right? In Buddhism, you've got the Eightfold Path. In Hinduism, you've got the doctrine of karma. Right? In Islam, Muslim belief, you have a code of law. And all of these are sort of ways to sort of earn your approval, to kind of get yourself right spiritually. Christianity is the only faith that makes God's love completely unconditional. This is free grace. You don't have to work for this. You just have to receive it. Instead of working to achieve the grace, the Christian receives God's grace, realizes the work of his forgiveness and love, and out of response to that, wants to live a holy life. Not the other way around. Lewis just says, oh, it's easy. It's grace. It's grace. Folks, that's what Jonah's all about. God extends his grace, free, unmerited, unobligated grace, he extends it to Nineveh, he extends it to Jonah, he extends it to you. You don't deserve it, God's not obligated to give it, but he does it anyway. Jonah has this experience of God's grace, he discovers that God is compassionate. And I think he realizes for a moment he's not that different from the sailors or the Ninevites. He realizes kind of just as bad off as they are. And so at least for now, 
at least until chapter 3, verse 2, he's willing to share. He's willing to share his experience with God's grace. He has a new understanding of it. Folks, what I want to nail home for us is this. We all fall short. Jonah, the sailors from chapter 1, the whole city of Nineveh, wherever you might find yourself. We're not so unlike Jonah or the Ninevites or the Pharisees or the disciples from Jesus' day. We all fall short. Yet God, in his great mercy, pursues us. He invites us today to return to him. He calls you to himself. He says, receive my grace. Receive my comfort. Receive my salvation. It's all right. He does this, folks, out of the great depth of his love for you. In the darkest place in Jonah's life, he turns back to God. And God hasn't given up on Jonah. Friends, if you're in a dark place this morning, hear this. God has not given up on you. You can still turn to him. And yet, and yet, I will look upon his holy temple. And turn back to God. And friends, that love, don't underestimate it. It's so great. It's for you. It's free. It's unmerited. Unobligated. Folks, this is why Jesus came. He lived, he died, he was raised, so that all of our sin and all of our brokenness and all that guilt be overcome by his one all sufficient sacrifice. Jesus doesn't die because we deserve it. He doesn't die because we earned it. He dies because he loves us. It's out of his great mercy that he comes to us. Without Christ, folks, we're all like Jonah, just sort of floundering away. We're all in this place. Whether you want to admit it or not, we're all in this place. This is his great love for you. He would call you out of this. Even when you don't, even when, even when you still don't have your life together, God's still waiting there, ready to catch you. He wants to, wants to fill you with the Spirit and provide you with Christian life. I wanted to end by reading some of these scriptures. I just, as I was praying through this, this Sunday, and I was, it was helpful that was saying amazing grace. Well done, Steve. Because I think uh, that theme of grace is just really important for us to, to really embrace and recognize how important it is. Our, God's grace and our own need for repentance and confession. Let me read you some of these scriptures, and I want these to sort of sit in your heart and not pray. <coughs> 2 Timothy 1.9 says this, He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And this grace was given to us by Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you. He's not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Micah 7, 18-19 says this, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever. Because he delights in steadfast love, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot, and you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Acts 3.19 Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. In 2 Corinthians 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you are a new creature. The old has passed away. The old, the new has come. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this word from Jonah that even in the, in the lowest points of our life, Lord, when we feel that we're furthest from you, we promise uh, in your word that you will turn, that you forgive us, and that by your grace you save us. And Lord, some of us have been running from you. We haven't lived for you. We've lived for ourselves. Some of us, Lord, like Jonah, we feel that our our sins are pulling us down. We felt kind of lost in the waves of that sense of guilt. And so, Lord, this morning we say that we need you. Lord, we turn to you again. Lord, we repent of those sins in our life that we haven't given to you. And Lord, we also believe, as we've heard your word, we believe by faith that your death covers our sins, Lord. We believe, Jesus, that as we turn to you, we can receive your forgiveness and your grace. So, Lord, would you come as we confess our sins in this moment? Would you come and restore and forgive and bring life and healing to us? Lord, we want to live for you. And Lord, that means turning, turning from our own wickedness. Father, some of us have had habitual sins in our own lives that we've we've struggled to deal with for years. Father, today would you lead us out of that, call us out of those places that are not of you. Lord, would you come and make your home in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, from this day forward, we say afresh, for some of us maybe for the first time, we want to follow you. Lord, we receive that gift of your grace. Would you teach us now what it means to live as holy people, ready to do your word. Lord, your word says that as we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Lord, thank you that we don't need to hold on to our guilt. Thank you that our sins have been nailed to the cross, that they've been taken away from us. Thank you, Jesus, that you continue to pour, pour out your forgiveness and your life to us. Father, this, this day we say we need it fresh. We need to have a fresh revelation of your grace for us. Lord, we give you this world. Lord, a world that's hurting from violence this past week. Father, we pray that your light and your hope would persevere in those situations. Lord, where there's sickness and grieving, both at home and throughout this world, Lord, we ask for your healing and your peace to come. Jesus, where we are filled with worry or confusion about our own lives or about the way that way things are going in the world, Lord, we think of upcoming elections, we think of countries that are leaving unions and all the other issues that are going on that we face, Lord. Would you bring wisdom? Would you bring peace? Lord, would you bring joy and perseverance in our own lives? Father, that as we seek to live your word, uh, seek to be people who can extend and speak of your grace. 
Lord, would you equip us by your Spirit with all that we need to be the light and the salt that you call us to be in this world. Lord, we lift up to you um, this, uh, this recent suicide attempt, Lord, uh, on the reserve. And we ask, Father, for your grace and your peace and your healing to be present there. Lord, we lift up those in our own congregation who have who've gone through medical procedures Lord, recently. We think of Louie, and we thank you that uh, the stint in his heart has gone well, and we're working your healing and been with him. Father, we give you thanks for that. Lord, for many more outspoken prayer requests that are represented here this morning, um, Father, we pray by your mercy and grace that you would intervene in our lives, that you would live and move. Uh, and have your way in our families and in our marriages, uh, in our workplaces, in our schools, in the places where we study, places where we rest. Lord, have mercy on us. And by your grace, would you come and bring life and hope and peace again. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Friends, I'm going to make the worship team to come back up. We're going to receive the offering. Thank you for your gifts and your tithes. Uh, we're going to sing this song together and then uh, we'll receive a benediction. You can use this one for a minute. Friends, uh, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace and your goodness towards us. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for uh, these gifts. Lord, we return to you a portion of what you've given us and we pray that you would bless it. Uh, for the furthering of your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Friends, receive this benediction. May you, like Jonah, who at times perhaps feel beneath the waves, may you turn quickly to the grace of God. May you, who feel sometimes overcome with the burdens and sorrows of life, turn quickly to the life and freedom of God. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. Friends, go in peace. If any of you are interested in getting water baptized, we're having a class here at 3 p.m. Uh, to talk about baptism. Uh, so feel free to stick around. Well, don't stick around for that. It's probably better if you go and eat something and come back. All right. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.